This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and we are once again with Sundays with Susan, with Dr. Susan Kleiner. Susan, do you want to say hello to everyone? Hello to everyone. So one of the things that Susan and I just love to death, concepts and ideas, um, is this idea of sleep and recovery, right? And just all the emerging science that is coming out related to that. And one of the things, you know, I knew we were going to do this podcast today. And one of the topics that, you know, I know always kind of gets people going is caffeine, right? And, and I've written an article on caffeine. And it's funny because people will come at me really hard. But in like the first sentence, I say, I'm currently drinking coffee because I usually post it in the morning. And I am a coffee drinker. Um, and you know, if you're on the pod, so shoot, Susan, um, just showed coffee, but on the podcast, you won't see that. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> In the video you might. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about, uh, because I know that, uh, it, where were you? Singapore, was it? Um, yeah. 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 I was in Singapore. And there was, there was some great information specific to sleep that, that you saw and heard of. So why don't we talk about that? So I had the great good fortune to speak on behalf of the International Society of Sport Nutrition in Singapore. It was ISSN Singapore 2019 in October. And um, while I was there, one of the other speakers and uh, gentlemen um, who I got to meet and spend some time with, Dr. Richard Swinborn, uh, Rico is what he goes by. He's a originally from New Zealand. He was a rugby player, just a fun all-around guy. He is the uh, lead nutrition scientist for the Singapore Sports Institute, which think of the United States Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, and this is the Singapore equivalent, obviously much smaller. It's a tiny little country, but, but his role is lead nutrition scientist and sleep scientist. He has a PhD in, in nutrition and, and performance. He is a registered dietitian, but, um, or the equivalent for New Zealand, but he, his, his research has been quite a bit in sleep. And so his, um, and, and that's his role at the, you know, it's the combined role at the Sports Institute. And so he gave this marvelous talk and he starts out saying, you know, if you could take something that improved your performance, enhanced your mental energy, allowed you to feel like you had more energy, it was a whole description where you thought 100% he's going to say caffeine. And he takes you all the way up to the edge, and then it's sleep. So everything described as how we think about coming from a a drug, right? I mean, caffeine is the most widely widely used drug in the world. Uh, it's legal. <laughs> it may be natural, but it is uh, it has a drug effect and a dose response in the body. He took us all the way to the edge, and then the answer was sleep. That is how powerful sleep is. Yeah, I think that sleep, as you know, for you know, for people that haven't listened to the podcast or don't know my story, 
I spent roughly 10 years playing poker professionally, right? So my interest in data comes from my interest in poker and numbers and, and things of that nature. One of, and so people, friends of mine, so I was a high stakes poker player, right? I, right. I mean, yeah, you're online. You can search and you find your, all your poker stuff. So, <laughs> so um, my poker friends are sometimes shocked that I no longer play poker and I have no interest in playing poker. Well, one of the reasons why I don't have any interest in playing poker is because of sleep. You know, I became an insomniac. Um, partially as a result of that, I did always in my life have struggle sleeping, right? And to this day, it's a struggle, right? Um, I find that my habits need to be really dialed in for me to get that level of recovery and things of this nature. But there's this bravado and, you know, the one of the books that, that I've read recently that kind of mirrors what you're saying, though it does go a little negative, um, is by Matthew Walker, which is why we sleep is the book. And I, I found that great. Um, and the best thing about the audio book, just for everybody listening, is that he's a monotone speaker. So it's a great Oh no. <laughs> it, it, it puts <laughs> you <in> sleep. <laughs> and and uh, it's just really amazing there. But um, you know, when we talk about sleep hygiene and, and, and things of this nature, there's just this bravado related to sleep. I mean, the one, the one that I hate all the time is on Shark Tank, the Robert, her, 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 uh, Robert H. <laughs> on Shark Tank. Yeah. Um, he is constantly bragging about his lack of sleep, right? And what often happens for people is they, you know, say, well, sleep is very individual. Yes and no, right? I mean, think of all of us. If we can get more sleep, we feel better, right? There's almost no one that says, you know what makes me feel better? Four hours sleep, right? right? So we, we inherently do know, but we have this bravado of I can exist without, right? And then what I think you're kind of talking about, what we'll get into a little bit more, is imagine what your life would be like with it, mm -hmm. right? And... When we talk about performance in the last podcast that we did, I talked about, you know, just how strongly I feel about longevity of life and, and things of this nature. You cannot talk about performance without talking about sleep. One of the Olympians that I've worked with, um, the best thing about her, right? So she was a young gal. Uh, she's just trains for a living, right? Does no cardio. Um, you know, for the most part, other than just kind of walking or, or whatever, her superpower was the fact that she could sleep 11 hours a day, right? And the only time that that ever became an issue was around competitions. And then on those days, she'd only sleep nine, right? Okay. But when you look at how she's become who she's become, there's no question in my mind that that sleep has made a very big difference for her, but really, when you look at the stress related to resistance training, the stress that actually causes your body to adapt and get better, 
you you have to counteract that stress and sleep is one of the things that does it another one of the things is food by the way right which is why food really needs to be an ally in your struggle so did he talk about that at all because one of the things that i see happening a lot with sleep is people don't factor in the fact that so many people are dieting right and that when you're looking at stress overall, right, that the stress of under eating, you know, affects sleep dramatically. Did that come up or was it really more performance based? Well, so this is all performance based. And so to start there, um, not only do all my serious athletes sleep a good eight hours to 10 hours at night, but they also nap. Um, and, and napping, whether you're an athlete or you're somebody who wants to perform well in your job every day and have the wherewithal to deal with your family for a lifetime and be around, um, sleep and napping are highly recommended. Um, napping is good for you. A lot of people say it disturbs my sleep at night. Again, these are habits that we can train. It's training your body to sleep. You're training, just like we talk about training your gut to be fueled during exercise. When people say, oh my God, I can't eat ever around exercise or during exercise, you can train your gut and you can get used to it. It's like learning to train and ride a bicycle. It's no different. Your body gets used to it. Um, sleep is the same. It takes a concerted effort because you've probably had bad habits for a really long time. And sleep is a biochemical change in the body. And so to create that biochemistry, you have to switch all these feedback loops and get them reorganized and working again. So um, sleep, when you don't have it, is a high stress phenomenon. And it's, it's now on the scale of smoking, right? We now know that as far as risk factors for chronic disease or so morbidity and mortality, death, that, that lack of sleep will kill you <laughs> like smoking will. So it is profound. Um, when we, when we, you know, so there's, so there's the, not sleeping, and then there's what are the things that disturb sleep? And as you said, dieting. And so um, one of the, when you are in a very low calorie deficit, this starts this hormonal stress response. And that stress response, no matter what get, kicks it off, is a response to get out of wherever you are. It heightens everything. It certainly isn't about putting you to sleep. And so the more stressed you are, the more things that create stress, including a large calorie deficit, you know, a deep diet, um, that will disturb your sleep. And just like being dehydrated will disturb your sleep and, you know, lots of other things. Well, when you look at the mechanisms of a diet, right? So you're trying to get to this place where you have a um, deficit way of eating. 
it doesn't just affect, so like for instance, the way that we all want it to affect is that, you know, it would just attack my fat and then I would become lean and then I will never have to diet again. Well, that's not how that works, right? It also affects your mineral levels, right? And so when you look at sodium and magnesium and zinc and all these things that you can kind of become deficient in, in that process, that affects sleep, for instance. Um, one of the big things that you often see um, is when people replace magnesium, that that helps stress response, and then their sleep is better. I have a, a you know, all the science defies the thing that I take. But one of the things I really loved about what Matthew Walker said in his book is that it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what the science says. If it works for you, then do it, right? And I believe strongly related to placebo effect and things of that nature that, that you, there's sometimes you're going to do something and then the people around you are gonna say, yeah, that shouldn't work, but it works for you. And if it's healthy, then you should probably continue, right? I do cycle off, um, I've kind of put it out there, you know, it's just a ZMA brand uh, from GNC that I like. Um, it does have a little bit of sleep aid stuff that I don't love, but it helps me. So, what's so I, have to, I have to interrupt you and ask you, did you find any sleep benefit when you added back your whole grains? Not that I noticed, right? But uh, my sleep hygiene was pretty good at that point, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting about what you're saying is that recently, this is why I was trying to kind of piggyback off of what you said, Recently with the holidays, I had some family come visit and things of this nature. And so not only, and so when my family's here, you know, I, I, I'm the CEO of Eat to Perform, right? And so the business doesn't stop just because your family is here. So what happens is, is like most 51 year old men, I wake up a few times during the nighttime. And so, you know, if it's like five o'clock and I know that I could get a few things off of my plate, I will wake up. And so my sleep was starting to get a little bit short there. And I also wasn't able to nap. I do nap daily. So that's going to be another interesting point. But over the last two to three weeks, everything changed. And the most amazing part about everything changing is how much it affected cardiovascular performance, which is well known, right? Um, but it of course affects sleep or, or um, strength as well. But, you know, just going to the gym, you know, wasn't something that you want to do because you're not fully slept and things of this nature. And I do kind of have these rules that I sort of abide by. Some, some, of, some of the time um, I probably need to kind of rethink that because I, I get into these long periods and to a certain extent the habit of just going to the gym and doing something physical actually can help get you know that sleep corrected right so so there are some times where it's very difficult for me to kind of get back into that groove where sleep hygiene is back to where I need it to be 
But what's interesting about what you're saying is when you're getting, you know, eight to eight and a half hours sleep and naps are also a priority, you only nap for like 10 to 15 minutes, right? But when you only sleep six hours or five hours, your naps become an hour and then they do become disruptive mm -hmm. to your sleep overall. In my view, it's still better, right? Because if you are underslept, making the argument for, well, I'm just going to gut it out. One of the things, and, and I don't know what your experience is with this, but I don't hear people talking about this very much, but it certainly seems to be my case, and it certainly seems to be the case with many of the people that I've talked to about this, is that when you haven't slept for a while, and this, this happens to people that take melatonin a lot, is they take melatonin to get to sleep better, and then they sleep deeper, and then they find themselves waking up at three o'clock in the morning, and they're just wired, right? And my thought process has always been, that you're sleeping deeper as a result of the fact that you're so tired that it's sort of waking you up earlier. So what ends up happening, this is, this is the, the revolution that happened in my life related to napping, is that 10 to 15 minutes allowed for, like that deep sleep that was waking me up four to five hours, you know, when I would struggle sleeping, which, you know, to be fair, it's been years, right? But I would be a short sleeper. When I started adding in napping, when I was able to get my sleep to be seven and eight hours long, I wasn't deep sleeping near as acutely. And so therefore my sleep cycles were longer and my recovery was better, right? And so I don't know how much of that helps people, right? But it is an argument for doing the hard work, right? Like in my instance, you know, this was, you know, e-performance existed roughly eight years. For three years of that time, I worked specifically on sleep and my sleep was not bad per se, but it wasn't what I would consider super healthy for me, right? And if I wanted to live to be a hundred, you know, and, and functional, sleep was gonna have to be a part of that, right? So what did that mean? Well, that mean that abs weren't gonna be a part of that. Right, because there was going to be times where in that discovery process, sleep was gonna be a bigger priority than eating less, right? And so if I know that eating a little bit more causes less of a stress response in my body and allows me to sleep better, then that was a sacrifice I was willing to make. And oh, by the way, I'm not obese. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that this death grip that everyone has on their weight has a much bigger impact than you think it does. Right. Just stress alone will affect sleep drastically. 
And the information that Susan's putting out there is the same information that Matthew Walker. I will say, I struggle recommending the Matthew Walker book. I love the book, okay? But I don't like people that sell the negatives to get you to go to their response. I don't like that in weight loss. I, I hate it when companies do that, mm -hmm. right? To point out the negatives to get you to buy their thing, mm -hmm. right? I feel like we should all be smarter as marketers to be able to tell you the good reasons mm -hmm. why our thing works, mm -hmm. right? And so in my view, I've never met a person that, like I said, goes three hours sleep, I feel great, right? Mm -hmm. We all benefit from more sleep. So sleep is one of these things that kind of sells itself. So you don't need to be the Darth Vader of sleep to try and convince people that they would want to sleep more, mm -hmm. right? And right. so, um, but, but go on, I, I interrupted you because I feel like, I, I want people to know, oh, this is, so I work in a work share environment. So if you can see my office in the background, if you're listening to the podcast, of course you cannot. So this is funny. You're gonna get a kick out of this because I don't think you know this. By the way, do you nap? Occasionally, I'm a really good nighttime sleeper. And, and yeah. so I get typically at least nine hours at night. Yeah. And so, and then I am an early riser and I work out at 6 a.m. Yeah. Um, that kind of developed when my children were little and I worked from home. And so I'd get up, I'd go work out while everyone was still sleeping and come home and then get them off to school. And then my workday would start and so, or I would get up really early and do all my East coast communication right. and then go work out. So, um, I'm an early riser, but I'm also an early to bed. And so yeah. I get a, I occasionally I'll nap in the afternoon. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty go all day and then crash at night. I have no problem I have not experienced the sleep issues that many women of my age group experience. I've been extremely fortunate with that. And so, but some, but if I need to nap, I do. So you're going to get a kick out of this, right? So I nap virtually every day. And when I moved to this work share, so I, I have an office here in downtown Minneapolis. And the reason why I have that office is because my daughter lives within three blocks of here. And my wife, her office is, is right over. And when I'm done with this podcast, my wife and I will go to lunch. And so we have that bond. And that's the oh, nice. We better finish or you're going to be late. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm already late. That's fine. Um, but the thing that the two things that that made me um almost not get this was because of my relationship with my dog right <laughs> who sadly um you know it, it has to stay in the kennel till two o'clock so so i i i kind of hate that um but also my naps because in that three-year period where i was working on fixing my sleep naps became part of the way that I mm -hmm. think my sleep. And so I, I have a whole routine, Susan, it, it would amaze you, but, but it's hot bath, it's listen to a podcast, and if a nap happens, great. If a nap doesn't happen, also great. 
but it allows kind of this self-reflection time. So when I came to this place, I was like, what's going to happen to my naps? And it did mess up my whole sleep pattern because I'm a routine person. And similar to you, my bedtime's 930. And that bedtime's a religion, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because, because that I have to be that way. Otherwise, you know, things just don't work well for me. So there's a health and wellness room, which is, you know, uh, is really the breastfeeding room, right? And, but there's no breastfeeders here at the office. It's just really there for moms that breastfeed. And there's a chair and I was trying to figure out how I was going to do it. And I I would literally go in there and just lay on the floor and, and fall asleep. And then I realized that there was a chair. And so I break down the chair and I put all the cushions on the ground. I have a blanket. Everybody, everybody in the work share gets a kick out of the fact that I, at two o'clock, I take my blankie and I go to the health and wellness room. Um, and, and, I, and I stay in there for 45 minutes and I usually nap 10 to 15 minutes. And I think to myself, so I, I have a lot of ghost naps, right? And do you, do you know what I mean by ghost naps? No. So a ghost nap is when you, you wonder, did I nap? I don't know if I nap there, right? But you realize you look at the watch and you and oh, sure. yeah. snapped, you know, um, and, and I feel better. And, and what was really interesting was how exhausted I was in the evenings before kind of describing a little bit of what you said, but I think there's actually an argument of, for what you described. Um, but what was happening is I would get really sleepy around like four to five and I would be, you know, like if I took any time out, I would not out. Right. right. Because right. I was just kind of exhausted. And what I found was when I added that, just that little nap of 10 to 15 minutes, right. And that little self-reflection time of about an hour, I was massively more productive right. in the evening right. and it did not affect my sleep. Right. I, I, like I said, you know, I'm very sensitive because I know what people are talking about. I have experienced what you're talking about. I know that if you nap for an hour and a half, yes, 100%, but there's whole cultures that live longer than we live in the United States. They eat better than we do in the United States. And a large part of the reason why is because of the fact that they have siesta culture, where it's these 10 to 15 minute naps. Um, and Matthew talks about it in his book, where in Greece, they had a whole culture of people that would take off for two to three hours of the day. And then when tourism became a bigger factor, that that went away and health statistics drastically dropped. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it was kind of this interesting thing. And so I think that one of the, you know, the the Minnesota, I I sent you an article um, the other day about the Minnesota Gopher football team and their, Mm -hmm. their um, rise in college football. And they attribute a lot of it to, to sleep. And Mm -hmm. when you work with elite athletes, you find that they tend to be really good sleepers Um, oh it's a major it's the you know recovery um performance recovery for performance is a whole field 
in fact, at the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, it's definitely over a decade ago, they built a recovery building. So that was not rehab. That was post-exercise recovery. And the athletes go into this whole building where there's the, you know, it's not physical therapy for rehabilitation, for injury. This is um, the different steps that they take, cryotherapy, it's nutrition, it's, it's rest and relaxation, meditation, sleep, uh, massage therapy, whatever they're doing that is part of their recovery. And it's all focused on getting to sleep. That's the whole, so the mission of the whole recovery center is getting them to sleep. And, and I do think we probably have a lot of people listening to this that have a million reasons why they can't make sleep a priority. And I'm going to flip that onto you. And I'm going to say, there are just some things in life that have to become important, right? And, and uh, I'm sorry that you have an infant. And I'm sorry that you have a job that, you know, but, and, and sometimes the answer to the problem is not to solve the problem completely, just to solve it a little bit better, right? So, you know, the one thing that I always think about when we're talking about stuff like this are nurses that work at night. You're probably not going to fix it completely. But what, what you can do is work to a better place than where you are now, right? But just so you know that I'm not one of these talkers, okay? I literally made millions of dollars playing poker and gave it up. That's how important I believe sleep and health and wellness are and why that needed to change in my life, mm -hmm. right? And I just think that, you know, when you are looking at a problem, you, you also have to, to go, how important is this to me, mm -hmm. right? Like all the people that say to you, oh, I just have a bad time remembering, remembering names. No, you don't, right? It's just not important to you. If it was more important to you, you would take a class on memory. You, you know, like right. I, I, I always remember the names of people that are really important to me. And, and, you know, I don't make it a priority to make it, make the names that aren't, right? And, uh, and I wish I was better about that. I wish I did a lot of things that aren't priorities in my life, but the priorities in my life, you know, stand out. And so, you know, when I think about, you know, what is important, it's kind of like, you know, well, I need a plan. No, you, you really don't. You need to prioritize a plan, right? Otherwise, that's your plan, right? Your plan is not having a plan, you know. Um, anything that you want to add to this discussion um, that you think would, would help people or any one little tip along the way? Well, there's a, you know, several things. People know how they respond to the things they're consuming um, that are stopping them from sleeping well. Um, and if you don't know, then 
monitor your caffeine consumption. Some people are not caffeine sensitive and there is a genetic test to tell if you are or you're not. If you're a non-responder to caffeine, then do whatever you wanna do. But if you're a responder and you know that caffeine keeps you awake, then stop drinking it at noon, at noon. Because it is, you know, what's called a five hour energy drink is not some amazing creative title. Five hours is the half-life of caffeine, which means it takes five hours to get half of it out of your body. So at six and seven and eight hours, you are still working on getting the other half out of your body. And so if you are particularly caffeine sensitive, drinking caffeine at one, two, or three o'clock in the afternoon likely is disturbing your sleep, especially if you don't have good sleep habits already, by nine or 10 o'clock at night. Um, alcohol will disturb your sleep. Many people know that alcohol, if they have a couple of drinks, they fall asleep, but it will disturb your deep, your ability to stay asleep. You will wake up in the middle of the night and it will be hard for you to get back to sleep. Almost everybody experiences this and it is something they recognize. Well, then don't drink alcohol and if you want to sleep well. Um, and then what you're choosing to do with your food um, and certainly your exercise and your whole day, you know, it is your, your whole day is the, is the pre-sleep time. And so working toward sleep time, you had a couple of things you said, quieting your, your evening down, um, having, you know, we know a warm shower or a hot bath will, will help our body get ready for sleep. Um, uh, having, if you feel like if you are under, if you still have calories to eat, having a light protein carbohydrate combination can help, perhaps help, and not in every single person, raise your uh, serotonin levels so that you can sleep. And one very natural food is milk. And so this idea of warm milk before bed is not really an old wives tale. It really actually probably does help people fall asleep. It could be a warm glass of, or cup of water. It could be a cup of chamomile tea um, that may be helpful, but milk is high in tryptophan by itself. Whey protein has a, a number of bioactive proteins that can help us get ready for sleep and the protein carbohydrate combination that's natural in milk can lead to that as well. Um, don't have cookies with your milk <laughs> unless you can afford to have those cookies as well and it's part of your plan. But, but the, the, the idea of milk before bed, uh, an hour or two before bed is probably, um, you know, as I said, it has some scientific basis to helping you um, rest and relax and prepare your brain for sleep. So uh, hydration is important, but overhydrating right before you go to sleep is not a great idea. It's going to wake you up at night and make you have to go to the bathroom. We want people to be well hydrated, but push your fluids into earlier in the day. And, and if you know you're someone who wakes up to go to the bathroom several times at night, taper off several hours before you go to bed. Um, and hopefully that won't disturb you. So those are just some little tips, but to remember, as, as Paul said, the priority of sleep 
if you would you continue smoking cigarettes if you're not a smoker and you understand the dangers of smoking cigarettes would you start smoking now or continue smoking understanding the risks involved in smoking not getting your sleep is the same it's the same level of health risk so I don't know how else to put it more clearly, how profound it is for our health and our health care, wanting to take care of our bodies um, to sleep. Well, I think we'll end on that note because um, I don't think it can be said better than that. So I appreciate everybody listening. I know, we know it's a difficult problem. We're not suggesting that it's not, that you can just flip a switch and start to sleep better. But what we are saying is, is make it a priority in your life. And, you know, I used to joke that John Stewart, um, you know, was costing me you know, <laughs> because, because, you know, I would say to myself, well, I use that to relax, right? Well, you know, what's really relaxing sleep, <laughs> right? So um, I think that's really kind of the, the, the major point there. So I appreciate everybody listening and hope you have a great week and we'll talk to you later. Bye now.